0: We need to talk. Those are the four words that start nearly every DTR conversation. If you don't know what DTR means, that's define the relationship. It's the words that every pimple-faced boy dreads as he is dating. Every girl that is awkward hates as she gets ready to go into the dating scene, and she hears those words said to her. We need to talk because inevitably what happens with we need to talk is I'm dumping you and everything seems to have been going great in the relationship don't pretend like you haven't been there everything seems to be going great, you know, you're, you're going out with this guy, you're going out with this girl, and you know, you've been on a few dates, and everything seems good, and you're all chatty with one another, and, and kind of a little love struck, and you know, you're talking on the phone till two in the morning, and everything's just great, and you're talking on the phone, it's two o'clock, and you got school in the morning, and, or you got to go to work, and you're like, you hang up, no, no, you hang up, no, no, you hang up, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. And then, boom, like, the DTR comes out of nowhere, and you're not expecting it. And the girls, you know, they they have the DTR, and the girls are like, I can't believe he just broke up with me. And they go back to their girlfriends, and they start sharing that this guy just dumped them. And, And they're like... Oh, honey, let's just go get a a gallon of ice cream and come over to my house and we're just going to pour chocolate all over that ice cream and we're just going to have a good cry fest. And then they go and they they have their cry fest. And then they're like, You know what? He didn't deserve you. You're better off without him anyways. You just, you know what? There's so many more fish in the sea. And then they go home and they dial. They call up your ex-boyfriend. They're like... I heard you and so-and-so broke up. I just wanted to check and make sure you're okay. Yeah, you know what they're getting ready to do. Now, guys, we're a little bit different. Guy goes and he gets dumped by his girlfriend. You have the DTR with your girlfriend and, and she dumps you and, and you go back to your, your friends and you're kind of you know, down and everything about it, but you're not going to cry in front of them or anything. And so you start talking to them and you're like, I oh, mean, I can't believe she dumped me. And guys, word, just a little more straightforward with one another. Like, Dude, seriously, how did you not see this one coming? Because we've seen all these things that have been happening all this time, and we knew she was getting ready to dump you. How are you surprised by this? And then they just start laying out all these things that have happened, and you just were clueless to them. Well, the text we look at this morning, Jesus has a DTR with the disciples. He has a little defined relationship with the disciples. And they had just finished communion, they just finished the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal. And so. What we're going to look at this morning is the disciples were, were here. They had just finished the Passover meal. Everything was well. Everything was good. They loved Jesus. Jesus loved them. They were his disciples. He was their rabbi, their mentor, their teacher. And then we're going to watch a progression of what happens from where they were totally in love with Jesus and taking the Passover meal. And then we're going to walk through some scriptures, and we're going to get to the point, and this is going to be your spoiler alert, so plug your ears if you don't want to see the the end of this. What we're going to come to today is at the very end, all the disciples deny Christ. So what happened from going over there where they were in love with Jesus to a point where they're over here and now they're denying Christ? And it was just a matter of hours later. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you, this is not the best text if you want to build a church or to get excited about or just to go out just so encouraged and go, you know what the Bible promises me? This text is very real and very raw. And so as we come to it this morning, I think that even though it's not necessarily the most encouraging text for us, it teaches us a number of lessons that we need to be aware of because we just took communion and the disciples had walked with Jesus for so long and they were there and they had just had that supper and then they they denied Him. We are not any more strong in our faith than what the disciples were to think that we could not deny Christ in a matter of hours from now. And if I asked you... Just raise your hand if you would like to deny Christ in the next, oh, four or five hours. Nobody's going to raise your hand. Nobody wants to say, yes, I want to deny Christ. None of the disciples we'll see in this passage thought they would ever deny Christ. And yet, just hours later, it happened. So what can we learn from this this passage, from this text we're going to look at this morning of how we can remain strong in our faith, even though trials and temptations come? So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be looking at a a number of scriptures this morning, a lot of them, so we're going to have to go fast. We're going to be looking at Mark 14, verse 26 through 50. And we're just going to kind of break it down into, into three chunks as we go and we'll talk about them. But Mark chapter 14, verse 26 through 50. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is just following the Passover meal that they had had. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. There's your DTR. Jesus saying to them, Look, you're all going to deny me. He says, But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now, in the very first verse, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. One of the things they did in the great halal, uh, which is the Passover meal, they sang Psalms 115, or actually, sorry, 113 through 118. And at this point, when they are leaving out from that meal, they would have been singing one, Psalms 115 to 118. And some of the verses in there in 118 says this. Remember what they are about to face. Is He says in 118, verse 5, Out of my distress I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. These are words that they're singing as they're leaving the Passover meal dedicated to God. And just hours later... They deny Him. They turn away from Him. It says that they went out singing those hymns, the that, that Psalms, and Jesus said to them, Look, you will all fall away. Now, this word, fall away, is actually in the Greek, scandalizo, And what it means is, is not to lose your faith but it simply means that you're going to stumble. It's a common word used for sin all throughout the New Testament. Scandalizo. You will fall away. Sounds like scandal, a, a root that we use for the word scandal. He's saying, look, you are gonna all stumble. You are all gonna fall away. Like, no way. Not me. And Peter, we we know he's just always the most vocal one. Peter's like, no, no, not not me. In fact, it says he says emphatically, "I won't do that." And then Jesus says, uh, "Yeah, yeah, you you will." And then Peter comes back and he says at the very end, "Even if everybody else's will, I will not. I will not deny you. I will die for you." And in the Greek here, he uses a double negative. And now I know in English we say two negatives make a positive. Doesn't work in English, does not work in Greek either. Greek, the, the, using this double negative is the strongest form that he can say, I will not do that. I will not deny you. There is no way, Jesus, that I will ever deny you. And all the disciples agreed with him. And they say, no, look, God, or Jesus, we're we're not going to deny you. We would never do that. Even if we have to die with you, we wouldn't do that. The disciples have an issue of pride. Look at the words that they use in there. I would not do that. Oh, I will not deny you. Do I think that the disciples had a good heart? Absolutely. Do I think that they intended to deny Christ? No, there's no way that they intended to deny Christ, save maybe Judas. But the rest of them, there's no way they intended to deny Christ. So what's the problem here? The problem is where they place their confidence. They place their confidence in themselves. No, Jesus, I would not do that. I would never do that. And in essence, what Peter is doing is he's arguing with Jesus. Okay, let me just stop, pause, time out here. Don't argue with Jesus. Not a good thing. Isn't going to work for you. They argue. He's arguing with Jesus. And what he's doing here is he's saying, Look, Jesus, I know you think you know my heart, but I know my heart better. I know what you say, but I think I know a little bit better. Do we do that in our lives today? Absolutely. Look, Jesus, I know what your word says. But you know what? My heart tells me that I can do this, and it's okay. I know what your word says, but it's okay. Look, I know, God, that you say that premarital sex is wrong, but we're going to get married, and it's okay, because I know that we love each other, and that's what this is about. God, I know that your word says that we should not be living together before we get married, but hey, you know what? I love this person, and so we're going to do that anyways. Look, God, I know what your word says about being above of reproach in my life and I I realize what it says but God I know it's just nobody will find out about this what I'm I'm doing I know what your word says but God I know my heart better and I can do what I want to do they had an issue with pride do we struggle with pride? absolutely absolutely And let me give you a great measure for that. Your level of pride. The best indicator for your level of pride is by your depth of prayer. The best indicator for the level of pride is your depth of prayer. Look at the following verses with me. It says, And they went to a place, in verse 32, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Let me just stop there. Distressed and troubled. These are powerful, potent words that he's saying there. In fact, one scholar, one theologian says this about those two words. He says, these, the power of these two words is incalculable. That they have the power in and of themselves to stab the reader wide awake. These are strong, emotion-filled words that he uses there. He says, he says to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? The hour has come the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners rise let us be going see my betrayer is at hand Now let's unpack those verses just for a moment when he says that his sorrow, his soul is very sorrowful what he's he's saying is look my soul is being crushed Literally that's what it, my soul is being crushed And just before that, when he says that he is distressed and troubled. And then it says, he went a little further and he fell to the ground and prayed. And in those days, what a Jew did was not fall to the ground and pray. They would stand very piously and pray, standing up. But overwhelmed with this grief, he falls to the ground and he prays. It says he went a little further. He was definitely within earshot of the disciples. The disciples could hear what he was saying. They could hear what was going on. He had just given his soul to them and said, Look, this is what I'm going through. I'm in just deeply troubled. And he says, Remain here and watch, and you can take that as just watch for the people that are going to come, or in all probability, seeing that he had just shared with them how what distress he was under and in. And the the just the weight of the situation he was saying stay and pray and later he clarifies that for them just in case they miss that you stay here and you pray and he goes and he says lord or god let this cup pass from me if it's possible And in the greek this means that he repeatedly kept saying these words Lord, please let this cup become, or pass from me. Let this cup go beyond me. God, please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will. God, not my will, your will, but God, please, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup is he talking about? In the Old Testament, the cup is often referred to as the wrath of God. Jesus knew that the upcoming, his upcoming death on the cross the wrath of god for all the sins of the world would be poured out on him no wonder his his soul was just so weighted down and so he's laying there on the ground and praying these things and going god please let this cup pass and he gets up and he walks back to the disciples and he finds them sleeping He says, can't you just stay awake for one hour? Watch and pray. And it says he went back and he fell down again and he kept saying this over and over again, God, please let this cup pass if it's possible. And then he goes back and he finds the disciples once again sleeping. And it's actually kind of a a bit of humor in this passage in understanding that he looks at the disciples and he says, couldn't you stay awake? And it says, and they didn't know how to answer him, or they were silent, depending on the translation you have. Okay, remember who's there? Peter, loud mouth Peter, who always has an answer for everything and just shoots off at the mouth, whether he should or shouldn't, has no filter on. It says, even Peter didn't have an answer for Jesus at this point. He was dumbfounded. He had no excuse. He's saying, I got nothing. I have no excuse. And it says that Jesus went back and prayed again and He comes back one more time and He finds the disciples sleeping. The disciples were prayerless in a time that they needed to be bearing their soul before God. You know, when when I was up in training in... um, Richmond, we had to go to Washington, D.C., because they wanted us to experience other cultures, other ethnicities, and different things. We had to go, and some of our assignments were go and eat at a place where when you go to whatever country you're going to be in, you go to a restaurant in D.C. that you can eat some of the food there. But then there was other things like go and observe a, a family from a different culture, from a different nation, and watch how they interact with each other for 10, 15 minutes. Go and help an international person and watch them or help them as they are in need, whether it's directing them in the subway or, or helping them find someplace or whatever it was. You, you go and, d- and do that. And then it says, if possible, share your faith with a person of a, of a different nation. And so, leading up to, to this event, uh, I, I was getting to play a lot of volleyball in the evenings up there. And so, I'd gone out and I'd played volleyball one night, and this, this dude um, came, and he was trying to go up and spike the ball, and I went up to block him, and we both kind of landed, but his, his progression kind of carried him under the net, and he landed on my foot. And instantly, it started to swell. And so, I had to go to the doctor, and I got this big boot that came up to here. Okay, so we're going to Washington, D.C. I've got this big boot on, and we've got three kids that we have to take with us, and we've got the stroller. Of course, we're going in the subway trying to get around all these different places, and I am getting frustrated by everything that we have to do. I mean, I can't tell you how many escalators were broken coming up out of the subway. And we're trying to get three kids and a double stroller up the subway and trying to keep them, make sure we don't get them lost. And I mean, by the end of the day, we were just worn and tired. And they even asked for an evaluation of it. And I said, I'm not sure what the goal, (laughs) I'm not sure what the goal was for today. But I survived. (laughs) I survived. That was my thing. I just survived the day. I had this boot on. I wasn't doing good. I was frustrated with with the kids. I I was just frustrated with the whole situation. And I survived. And I went back thinking, man, we just wasted Lottie Moon dollars doing what we just did. That was a waste. That really was, was not good stewardship. And then we got to talk to some of the other people. And there was one family that we grew close to while we were there. And this one lady told me this story. We'll call her Julie because that's her name. We, Julie went to Washington, D.C., too. And so we're talking to Julie afterwards and I, I was like, well, how did it go for you guys? And she's like, it was amazing. Okay, you have two kids too. don't have a stroller, but you got two kids. How was it amazing? And so she proceeded to tell the story how she had been been praying for weeks uh, about this and that she went and she actually didn't feel good. And so she had gone off and she was just not feeling real good through the whole day and, and she just sat down, and she was praying, and she said you know god i didn't i didn't I didn't come to d c to be sick I came here to share my faith, and so God, if you would just give me an opportunity to share my faith i will just i'll jump at it and so she came back from, from I think she was at a Barnes & Noble or something, she came back and, and was trying to find her family, and she found them, and, and she just decided, I'm just going to sit on this bench until my family's ready to go. They were kind of doing one of their assignments. She was watching them. And I can't make this stuff up. She sat down on the bench, and a guy walked up and sat down next to her. And he looked at her, and he said, do you have something to tell me? She said, "Huh?" He's like, "Do you have something to tell me?" She's like, "Uh, well, yeah." He said, look, I'm I'm not weird or anything. He pulls out his driver's license. He said, I just moved to D.C. from New York City a week ago, and I've I've got a job here in the coffee shop, but I'm just so lonely. And I want somebody to talk to, and I was wondering if you just... Would you talk with me? And so Julie got to share her faith with this guy. And of course the perfect ending to the story would be that he became saved and and and, you know went out rejoicing and he didn't. But she got to share her faith with him. And you know, I heard that story and I'm like, that's so unfair. Why does that happen to everybody else? That never happens to me. Nobody ever sits down beside me and says, Hey, would you share your faith with me? And then I I started thinking about it, and I was like, You know, how much did I pray about today? Because Julie was praying about it for weeks before she went. She asked her prayer partners to be in prayer for that day. And I prayed the night before. I prayed that morning. And I was like, okay, you know, this. we'll, we'll go, we'll do this. God, please put somebody in my way. There is a passion to Julie's prayer that mine didn't possess, that I didn't have. And can I ask you a question this morning? In all honesty, how is your prayer life? Because your depth of prayer will indicate your level of pride. I mean, I know we've just gone through a study here at Northside of prayer and how we should be praying, and that's great, and I've heard wonderful, wonderful things about it, but how is your prayer life really doing? Let me ask you this. When is the last time you prayed for the search committee? Now, I'm talking about not just, Lord, bless the search committee, but when's the last time you came to God and you said, Lord God, you are holy and you deserve the best. ...that I can possibly give you. And because of that, I need to be fed spiritually in my life every Sunday. And I need the man of God that comes to Northside to be a man of the Word. And I need him to be able to shepherd our church in a way that I can grow spiritually. And I can reach out to my friends and my co-workers and my neighbors. And I can share my faith with them. And I can get them involved in our church. And God, there is nothing more important for our church right now than what that next man is going to come in and what he's going to be and how he's going to lead. And God, I pray for the people on that search committee. I pray that they would have wisdom. I pray that they would have discernment. I I pray that they would have a spirit of unity among them because it is so important to my spiritual life and for the eternal impact that Northside Baptist will have on Rock Hill and the nations for your glory. When's the last time that you prayed for your children? And I'm not talking about God bless them or God they're not feeling good today. I'm talking about when's the last time you went. And you knelt by their bed or by their crib while they were sleeping, and you said, Lord God, take my child. And use them for your glory. God, use them powerfully in your kingdom. God, call them to yourself at an early age so that they might be used mightily for you. When's the last time that you've prayed for yourself and you said, Lord God, I need you desperately? I need to know of your holiness. I need to know your will. I need to know what you want from me. But God, more than anything, I need to know you. And God, I come today and I pray not for my health or not for my finances or not for my relationship status. But God, I come to you today and I pray for nothing else but that i would know you better when's the last time you've god went to god and you prayed and said god i know there are over 1 billion people in this world that have never even heard the name jesus It's never fallen on their ears. They've never heard the name Jesus. And God, I pray that somehow you would burden my heart and you would make a way in my life that somehow you will use me to preach the gospel to those people. And God, whatever it takes, whether that means I have to give up a couple thousand dollars out of my savings so I can go to this country, wherever it is, and preach your name, I'm willing to do it. And I'm willing to give up vacation. God, whatever it is, I am willing to do it. Please, you Use me for the spread of your gospel now don't misunderstand me I don't think that every time that we go to the Lord in prayer we have to end up in this emotional frenzy with tears falling down our face and in a fetal position in the corner when we finish but are we really a people of prayer Or if we were to put ourselves in the story, would we be the ones that were heavy with sleep, who were just sitting there, laying there, sleeping, when God, Jesus, told them to pray? Your level of pride, a sure indicator of it, is by your depth of prayer. And if we have pride and we are prayerless people, then eventually we are going to abandon God. We're going to walk away from our relationship with Him. Keep reading with me in the following verses. It says, And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve with him, with a crowd, with swords... And clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword, and he struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. In these verses, we we see a couple different people in their interactions. It says that Judas went up to Jesus, and he called him rabbi, and he kissed him. Now, this word kissed is the same word that you read when the prodigal son has gone away and he's coming back to his father and his father runs to him as he's running to his father and when they get to each other, the father kisses him. It's the same word that's used when the woman comes to the feet of Jesus and she kisses his feet. And Judas goes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, teacher, and he gives him a kiss. And Judas is pretending to have an emotion that he doesn't possess. And there are some people in this room that you have been pretending to have an emotion that you don't possess. Now, you might have come to church all your life. You might have grown up in church all your life. You might just be visiting today. You might have just walked in here and sat down. But you have never proclaimed the name of Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never said, God, I give my life to you. Oh, you might come to church. You might dress up. You might even call him teacher or rabbi. But you know in your heart that you have never proclaimed him as your Lord and Savior. You've never accepted him into your heart and life. And you've been pretending to have an emotion that you don't possess. I hope at the end of the service that you would come forward and we can pray together. And help you understand how you can come into relationship with Christ. But don't miss the other person in this passage where it says, He walked up and he cut off the ear. Of the servant. We know from another passage, this is Peter who does this, and Peter probably still smarting from when Jesus says, you're going to deny me, and he says, no, I won't. Jesus says, yeah, you're going to do it. And so Peter, in this moment, says, hey, look how much I love you, Jesus, and he whacks off this guy's ear and says, look, I'm proving my love for you. How many of us fit into that category? Where we say, you know what, God? I just love you so much. Look what I'm doing for you. Look at all these different things I'm doing for you. I serve on this committee or that committee. I serve in the choir or in the praise team. I serve as a Sunday school teacher or as a deacon. Look at all the things I'm doing for you, God. Look how much I love you. As if our sanctification depended on our efforts. Why is it that we say our salvation is by grace alone, through God? It is all His doing that we come to Him and to know Him and to relationship with Him. It is only by the death on the cross. And we say, praise the Lord that we don't have to do all these Old Testament sacrifices, all these these laws to be saved. And yet, to be like Christ is all in my own efforts. It's all about me working out my salvation and becoming more Christ-like. In and, First and Thessalonians 5.24, just following a passage about sanctification, it says this, The one who has called you is faithful, and he will do it. Look, I, I don't know where you're at this morning. But I know in this passage we see a clear progression of what happens when somebody walks in pride, is prayerless, that they abandon, that they fall away from God. Wherever you're at this morning, I pray during this invitation time, if you need to get right with God and come into relationship with Him, I pray you'll come down and speak with me, speak with, with Reed, whoever you need to talk to. I'll be down here. You can do that. If you just need to come and pray and say, God, I've been walking in pride, and my prayer life shows that, then feel free to come down to the altar. But whatever decision you need to make today, I pray that you would do it in, in a way, in, in a time that is honoring to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you. God, to worship you and to even hear hard truths from the Bible. God, we pray that as we have this time where we focus on you and what we need to do in our lives, that you would speak to us and that you would speak to us clearly.